What's going on, everybody? Thanks for stopping in for another episode. In today's podcast episode, me and Adam are back. We're talking biggest surprises and disappointments a quarter of the way through the NBA season. So we didn't want to name any superstars, you know, because those guys get enough attention in the national media. And uh, we did the same thing for teams. We didn't want to list off the Lakers or the Clippers or like the Bucks or anything like that. That stuff is easy. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, feel free to comment on Twitter at Brandman23. And um, tell me if there was any guys you would have liked um, that are playing really well and aren't getting recognition or are playing really poorly and should be highlighted a little more. Um, we attacked both angles. I hope you like it. Thank you guys so much and enjoy this conversation with me and Adam. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm here again with my boy, Adam. Adam, what's going on, man? What's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Just watch the Lakers stink the bed up and uh, lose to the Pistons. But, you know, like like we were saying, it doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. Um, but, you know, I wanted to do this episode with you. We're talking, we're about quarter way through the season. Most teams have played a quarter of 72 games. Um, so I wanted to do a biggest surprises of the first quarter, as well as biggest disappointments. Now, um, I wanted to do this specifically because the big teams are already covered enough for the national media. So I really wanted to focus on guys who might not get that same recognition and teams that might not get that same recognition. So I guess without any further ado, like who's a player that you've been watching this year that's really like stood out to you? Like, wow, I can't say I've seen that coming, or if you saw it coming, like you're still surprised by it anyway. Right. So my surprise player who's jumped out at me that I definitely did not expect to be this good, maybe at any point in his career, he's young, but is uh, Colin Sexton playing point guard for the Cavs. Um, he kind of got a lot of attention for taking down the uh, New Look Nets in their first real game together, got him all, all over TV and everything. But he's been balling all year. That was not just a one-off thing. He's averaging a career high in points at over 25 a game. He's averaging career highs in assists, steals, three-point percentage, free throw attempts. I mean, the guy's numbers are up across the board. Um, he's shooting a ridiculous 47% from downtown, which has kind of unlocked all of this. Um, not sure that's sustainable quite at that level long-term. But the guy's been a good shooter his whole career, so it's not like this is entirely out of nowhere. Um, he's really good at moving in awkward ways and slipping through cracks and getting into, like, that middle-of-the-floor pain area, and that's really where he works his magic. His floater game is elite. His touch on those shots is elite. Uh, getting his feet set, getting them up from that little mid-range free-throw line jumper type thing is, uh, is beautiful. Um, his turnovers are up to a career high, but barely. They've barely gone up to 2.6 from 2.4 last year, despite handling a much higher usage percentage. Okay. So I don't really see that as a problem. Um, and my last note, he's already shown some pretty good pick and roll chemistry with Jared Allen, who they just acquired in the, uh, the next deal. Yeah, and that last point you hit, I think, is the biggest point for this team moving forward. Um, like you said, Colin Sexton, he's great at, like you just said, getting into the cracks of the defense, those areas where the defense tries to keep you out of, uh, top yeah. of the key, like the paint area, the baseline. He's good with, like, all types of reverses, floaters. Um, he finds but, those little pockets of space. Right, right. And, and that point you made about Jared Allen, um, I did a video earlier this year before the season saying it's very dark for the Cavaliers. I don't think they're going to be good at all, but you have a guy like Jared Allen come into the team for virtually nothing, you know, for Dante Exum. Um, and you pair him with Colin Sexton, all of a sudden you have something there for the future, you know, um, 
But yeah, like you said, I think it all starts with Colin Sexton being able to break down the first wave of defense, breaking down that point of attack defender. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so another guy like that for me, um, he's also been a guy who was highly touted coming out. He was picked third. So it's kind of weird to say it's a surprise, but at the same time, he's t taken that leap from good player to, oh, this guy can be a perennial all-star type guy. And for me, that's Jalen Brown. Um, this year in 17 games, he's at 27 points, six rebounds and three and a half assists, all career highs. But what I've really liked about Jalen Brown's game this year, he's taken a lot of those what are you doing shots out of the game, out of his game? You know, um, I used to be able to watch Celtic game and once a quarter, maybe twice a quarter, he would take a shot that was like, oh, I haven't shot in a while, so I'm just going to get one up here. And those used to kill his percentages. They weren't good for the team. You could see the team's shoulders just slump a little bit if he missed them. Um, he's really kind of cut that fat out of, out of his diet of shots, I guess you can say. And, um, it's shown in his efficiencies. He's at 43% from three-point range. And the biggest jump to me, um, not only for Jalen Brown's game, but scorers in general, where you see them take that leap, is free throw attempts. And last year, he was at 3.6 free throw attempts a game. Now he's up to five, which doesn't sound like a lot. You know, it's a one and a half per game more. But over a course of a season, that adds up. And I think... That specific skill set is very beneficial for this team and in terms of its playoff prospects. You know? Yeah, um, getting to the free throw line is always a good thing, mm -hmm. always. Um, and you're right, he has cut out a lot of those. It looks like heat check moments, but he's not, but he's not having high. <laughs> any reason to, to heat check himself. Yeah. Um, he has cut a lot of that out, and it looks a lot better. They're flowing a little bit better as a result. Um, he's actually leading the Celtics in scoring. It's not Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown is the lead scorer on that team. Um, another interesting note I noticed, Jalen Brown and Daniel Tice are the only two Celtics to play in all 17 games so far this year. Hmm. So Jalen Brown's balling and he's always there. Yeah. And, and that was what was also impressive to me is, um, as you mentioned, he's been playing all the games, which means Tatum has not been. And the numbers haven't gone down. They've actually got, gotten better with him. And, you know, in theory, it's like, yeah, they should because he's getting more shots and things like that. But the efficiency hasn't dropped um, in the non-Tatum games. And that's something that if he can keep that up, man, I, I will look at the Celtics team totally differently because as currently constructed, I don't think they have enough to get to a conference final again. I thought that was more of the bubble rather than the Celtics being good enough. Um, but if he's playing at this type of level and you get what you're getting from Tatum, hopefully Kemba can give you more. There's no reason for me to believe they can't get back to the conference finals at least. Yeah, they definitely have a shot. Um, I think coming into the season, scoring was the big question mark. Yeah. They're going to be well coached. They play good defense. But uh, outside of Jason Tatum, it was it was a real question mark where scoring was going to come from. Kemba's got the knee and all of that. So uh, Jalen Brown, you know, being able to fill it up like that is is definitely a huge plus for that team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not to heap all praise on him because he is a Celtic. Um, <laughs> one area I would like to see him get better <laughs> is at the free throw line. So he's getting there a lot, but he's still only at 77 percent which is actually a career by, career high for him by quite a bit. Um, but I would like my wing score to be in the 80s, you know. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Number up, you know? For sure, especially as you're getting more attempts. Yeah. So those are... Uh, be before we move on, I got one more quick point. Okay. Um, a guy was not quite good enough to take the nod as my, my big surprise player, uh, but I did just... I did just honorable mention, shout out my man, Dort the Fort. Dort. Lucian's <laughs> Dort is still playing all the defense that he played last year, but has actually come out dropping bombs from three. Um, he's almost doubled his points per game, and his three-point percentage has jumped from 29.7 to up over 40%. 
Wow. So, I mean, he's still not like the star or anything, but, you know, last year in the playoffs, they were just leaving him alone and letting him shoot. You can't do that anymore. He will make you pay for it. So, shout out my man, Lou Dort. No, I love it, man, because anytime you have a guy who defends at that level, you're always hoping the jumper can come along, you know. Um, and it's so ironic that he plays for the Thunder because they've been riddled with those guys for years. You've had your Andre Robertsons, your right. Tabo Cephalosha's, and they've always just been looking for a guy who can do the three and D, not just the D. So it is good to see that uh, Dort is is um, is shooting a lot better. And you know, you could kind of figure it. Like I know you put me on a Dort, you told him to keep me on the radar, and he's just a hard worker, man. Like. Success, you, you could tell success is going to find him because of his work. Ethic. Absolutely. Those are a few guys that we wanted to shout out, you know, um, who might not be getting the love in the national media, but have definitely been balling. Um, and along that same line, let's go ahead and do teams that um, have surprised you in a good way. And I'll kick it to you. All right. So this was kind of hard for me to pick. I don't think there's been that many teams make these huge unexpected rises mm -hmm. um so i went with something a little more mediocre i guess in the san antonio spurs okay um the spurs last year went 32 and 39 missed the playoffs for the first time in well over 20 years mm -hmm. and uh everybody kind of started counting out the spurs because of that but there is a reason a team makes the playoffs more than 20 years in a row and that is on an organizational level. That's not just because one guy carried you there for that long or anything along those lines. Popovich is still there. Um, they're actually at 10 and eight so far this year, which is good for sixth place in the Western Conference. Um, let's see. Uh, they have the least turnovers in the NBA and the least fouls in the total, NBA. Total San Antonio vibes. Both of which are total San Antonio Greg Popovich vibes, exactly. Yeah. That's what they do. They're in the top 10 in rebounds. Um, they are almost last in three points attempted. Mm -hmm. And they are first in two pointers attempted. So it's very obvious where their shot selections are coming. Yeah. Again, very San Antonio. Um, their opponent's field goal percentage, three point percentages, kind of middle of the pack. So their defense is just kind of all right, but they're just kind of an all right team. Yeah. Uh, DeRozan's leading them in scoring again, but is down from 22.1 to 20.1. So he's dropped off about two points a game. Um, in continued true San Antonio fashion, they're very balanced. They have seven different guys averaging 11 or more a game. Nice. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge's numbers are down. Um, only scoring 14.9 a game. Not a lot for him. Uh, playing less minutes by about six a game. So that's some of that, but his field goal attempts are pretty similar to usual, um, and his percentages are all down. The rest of the team has improved a lot. Yes. Patty Mills, DeJounte Murray, both chipping in more than three points a game, more than they did last year. Lonnie Walker chipping in uh, six points a game, more than he did last year. And Keldon Johnson chipping in five points a game more than he did last year. Um, Keldon Johnson's really the big surprise there. I love he's Keldon. almost, he's, I love Keldon Johnson too. He's, he's a joy to watch if anybody hasn't seen him. Um, he's nearly doubled his minutes from last year. He was playing 17 a game last year and is up at 31 this year. So that's a big leap. He's made the most of it. Popovich is Popoviching and the Spurs are chugging along and right back in the playoff lines. Yeah. Um, also, as I was going through that, just a fun little note that I found that made me laugh. Uh, Jakob Pertl is five for 21 at the free throw line this year. <laughs> Good for 23.8%. <laughs> oh, that's got to be tough considering he was part of a Kawhi trade package. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw the free throw percentage and I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, the Spurs, when I've watched them, um, I know they beat the Lakers earlier this year. I've I've been so happy to see Pop finally lean into that youth movement that he has there. Mm -hmm. You mentioned DeJounte Murray. You mentioned Lonnie Walker. Keldon Johnson's been balling. All three of those guys, what they all have in common, they don't take plays off, and I love it. 
they're rugged. I remember Keldon Johnson when he was in college, he was super raw, but he, you could never question his effort. And, um, you know, that's how you stay on the floor. As you mentioned, his minutes have almost doubled. He's defending his butt off. He's attacking the rim. They got this weird um, lineup that they run sometimes where DeRozan is at the four and they put uh, Aldridge or Pirtle at the five. And then they run like Johnson, Mills, DeJounte. Um, and it's actually helped them defend in a way where you would think you have a six, seven guy playing your power forward, but in a weird sense, they're just scrambling and flying all over the court. And I think that's the way the Spurs need to be suited going forward. Just lean into your athleticism. It's not something you've really had traditionally, but I think it's something that can help you win those regular season games that you're not supposed to win. And it, I think it's why they're 10 and eight right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you mentioned them just scrambling around and, and, playing that style of defense, uh, whatever their system is, whatever they're deciding to do, I'm sure Popovich has everybody bought into it. Yeah. Everybody knows where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there and, and what to do. Um, also, Derek White has not played much this year. He's been hurt quite a bit. He's only played like a game or two off the top of my head. So eventually he'll surely return and, and add another boost to that San Antonio team. Yeah. Uh, I kind of went with you, like in terms of this team is always pretty good, but um, this year they it seems a little bit different. Originally, I was going to go with the Cavs, and I told you that um, off air, but the more I looked into the team I'm about to name, the more I was impressed with how much more sustainable they look this year as opposed to last, and that's the Indiana Pacers. So they're good for 11-7 and seven this year, which is third in the East as of current which is crazy because that's only one game better than sixth in the West, um, you know, kind of showing the disparity there, but their, uh, their new coach, Nate Bjorkren, he has them playing not only faster because they used to walk the ball up every time with Nate McMillan. Uh, there was a real like nineties vibe to that team, but now they're playing a little bit more modern. They're still taking a lot of mid range jump shots, which, when you look at the personnel of the team, it makes sense um, with Sabonis and uh, Brogdon and guys like that. But I think it really all stems from their defense. You have Miles Turner, who's playing his butt off. He was one of my honorable mentions for individual surprises. Um, he's leading the league in blocks. Um, the team as a whole is third in steals. And the thing that I think is more sustainable as opposed to last season is they're running Sabonis, kind of like a Jokic type. They're giving him the ball at the elbow a lot. And they're saying, okay, we're going to run all of our actions off of you at the elbow. You make the best decision. And if none of those passing decisions are there for you, guess what? You probably have a mismatch. Take it, take your little isolation. Or if that doesn't work, give it back to Brogdon and you two guys run pick and roll. And the Brogdon Sabonis play, the pick and roll, it's actually the fourth most efficient play in the league this year, which I thought was absolutely insane. Only three plays are more efficient. The Joel Embiid post-up, which is insane in itself. That post-up is that efficient. Um, the LeBron James post-up is number two. And number three is um, oh the uh, – the Jokic and Jamal Murray pick and roll. Jamal Murray pick and roll. Makes sense. So when you're in that sort of company as Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis, that's really impressive to me. Um, this team still got to figure out their two guard position. Obviously, Karis Levert was supposed to be that solve, but um, obviously he'll be out indefinitely. Um, shouts out to him. Hope he gets healthy. Yeah, pray, prayers up for Levert. But um, – like right now they're running like Sumner and uh, Justin Holiday at the two. And, and I don't think that will last long-term, but it is fun to see how they can be maximized when Sabonis just gets it at the elbow and they can cut off of him and do all sorts of different movements off of him. Yeah. So I love that you made the comparison between Sabonis and Jokic. They are surprisingly similar in what they do. Um, Sabonis is, if you don't include Jokic, hands down the best passing big in the league. Yep. Sabonis 
can pick you apart with his passes. Not quite to the extent Jokic can. Jokic is on another planet, but Sabonis knows what he's doing. Um, I love Sabonis just in general. He is one of the most underrated players in all of basketball, in my opinion. I love TJ McConnell. Oh, I love uh, TJ McConnell. McConnell plays hard every second of every game. He'll come defend you for 94 feet, and he's not just trying to be in your face. He's trying to take the ball away right under his own basket. Yeah. And doing so actually allowed them to steal a win against the Pelicans that I'm still upset about. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I love TJ. Uh, saying Sabonis Brogdon is the is as efficient as you brought up doesn't actually surprise me. Okay. Um, I've noticed over time Malcolm Brogdon is just Mr. Efficient. Yeah. Malcolm Brogdon screams efficiency. He's the most recent guy to make the 50-40-90 club and the first one to do it, I think, since KD or Steph mm-hmm. before That's KD went to Golden State yeah. a while back. Um, yeah. They're they're a well-oiled machine. They have a lot of really good players. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have any true stars. I think Sabonis is kind of on the fringe. Brogdon a little bit less so, but maybe. Um, but they play well. They have an identity. They play well as a team. They play tough defense. They don't take plays off. Yeah. Yeah, they're one of those teams like – you would not want to face in a seven game series, not because you are afraid of losing, but just because every game is going to be a dog fight. You're going to have to work your tail off. Like if you're a three seed and you see them at six, you're not happy about it at all. No. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I really have liked what they've done um, because like I said, they were always, you know, relatively good. They were in that four to five, but you never fancy them to win a series I think this year, like their ceiling of ceilings, they can they can take a series in the East this year. What happened to TJ Warren? Uh, he has a injury. I don't know if it's his hurt. foot okay. or his. It's some lower body injury for a fact. Yeah, but I just realized I haven't heard anything about him. And Bubble TJ was Bubble TJ. Bubble TJ was a top ten player of all time. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, as we move on from the good, we've got we've to gotta face some of these harsh realities. And let's start with individual players who just haven't been up to par, haven't been up to standard. Um, I'll start for this one. I had two guys on my list here. And I think I'm going to lean towards the guard. So the big man I had just for, um, to put it out there, was DeAndre Ayton. But okay. I'm actually going to lean towards my shooting guard, which is Josh Richardson. I think that when you get traded on draft night for Seth Curry and all the analysts say it's one of those trades that worked out well for both teams, there's a lot of pressure on you for, there's a lot of pressure on you uh, to make it look like it worked for both teams. Right now it looks like Philly won that trade by a mile. Seth Curry had it unlocked a different element to their offense in Philadelphia to where Embiid has that much more space to post up. Um, He's unlocked Ben Simmons. He can run to the deep corners in transition. And he's not a terrible defender. Like he can still be on the floor um, because he provides that sort of spacing. Well, Josh Richardson was supposed to be the guy to come in and space it just well enough but be that guy who could lock down point guards and shooting guards. The inverse of what Seth Curry was. Right. So that was the trade-off that was supposed to happen, but in reality, it hasn't. He's shooting a career low 31% from three, career low 40% from the field. And you would figure in an offense with Luka Doncic, you're probably getting some of the easiest shots of your life. So – It's been disappointing for me because two years ago in Miami, he was at 16 points, 37% from three, and giving you four assists in like a secondary playmaking role. None of that has really come along um, ever since that season, but especially with the Mavs needing a guy who can take a little pressure off of Luka, get the ball out of his hands some, and also defend the guys that Luka can't defend. 
he's not really doing that at a high enough level for me to say the trade was successful. You know, I think the Mavericks brought him in with the prospects of we were the seven seed last year, but we were a damn good offense. So let's sacrifice a little bit of that offense to bolster our defense and, and um, hopefully bolster our ceiling where in turn, it seems like their floor has actually gotten a lot lower. Um, so I would say Josh Richardson has been my biggest disappointment so far. Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, I was one of those people who thought that was a great trade for both teams. Me too. I loved how that had worked out. And it absolutely looks like Philadelphia won. Um, like you said, Seth can shoot and, and space the floor and still kind of play defense. Right. He competes. He competes. Whereas Richardson was supposed to be the inverse, who could kind of shoot but was really there to play defense. In actuality, the defense they have gotten out of Josh Richardson has been very similar to what they got out of Seth Curry last year. Yeah. But he can't shoot the way Seth can. <laughs> so all they really did was downgrade their shooting. Mm-hmm. That was all they got out of that trade. The Mavericks have some issues that they need to get figured out. I almost picked them for my disappointing team. Mm. they're below 500 things are just not working out right now in Dallas and I do think they'll get it together I hope Josh Richardson can step it back up on defense and start knocking down some more open shots that would certainly be a bolster in that direction yeah um but we'll we'll just have to see yeah and um you know I want to be a little bit fair to him he's only played nine games uh he had COVID um but yet and still, like I said, expectations sometimes can make things look a little worse than they are. And I I just think when you had a six-game war with the Clippers and you figure, let's trade one of those guys who was in the rotation for a guy we think can help us maybe take that to a game seven against the Clippers and it hasn't come through yet, it, it's, it looks kind of tough. Expectations as a whole, I think, are weighing heavily on Dallas. There was a lot of hype around them coming into this year, not just from that trade, but Luka came in as the favorite to win MVP. Um, A lot of people, myself, I picked them to finish second in the West. I picked them really high, too. Those are very lofty expectations for what is still a very young team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, So I had Josh Richardson, honorable mention Aiden. Let's see where you go with this. So for my disappointing player, I also picked a guard who also just got traded, who also has only played in nine games. A um, little bit different because Russell Westbrook did not get traded mm-hmm. to a good team. <laughs> Russell Westbrook got traded to the awful, awful Washington Wizards. Awful. However, Bradley Beal is showing us that is not an excuse for not playing well as an individual because Brad Beal is lighting it up over there. In Russell Westbrook's nine games, he's averaging 18.2 points, which is the lowest points per game total he's shown since his second year in the NBA, and a nine-point drop from his 27.2 points he was averaging last year. He's shooting 37.4%, not from three, but from the floor at all. Ouch. The lowest of his career and just horrendous. Um, He's shooting... 30% exactly on three-pointers, which, I mean, Russ isn't a good shooter who's going to shoot anyways. That just is what it is at this point. Mm -hmm. 30% is not the worst he's ever shown, but it's still not good. And and he's shooting 4.4 attempts a game, which is way more than any 30% shooter should be taking. Yeah. Um, He's showing a career low 61.7% at the free throw line. Mm. He's doing that on a career low 5.2 free throw attempt. Excuse me, not a career low, but the lowest since his first two years in the NBA. Um, 10 assists a game, so that's nice. 5.2 turnovers a game. Ooh. That's awful. Ooh. That's awful. That is the second worst of his career. Oddly enough, the worst of his career was his MVP yeah, season. <laughs> uh, well, but he was the team, so... Um, and it's almost that bad. He had 5.4 the the uh, MVP season. He's at 5.2 this year. Wow. Um, steals per game, lowest of his career. Offensive rebounds per game, lowest of his career. 
Russell Westbrook is not performing across the board by every single measure. Yeah. Um, you fit it all on the head. Uh, and this is one of those things where you talk to someone on Twitter and they just can't understand these box score numbers, these counting numbers, they look just fine, right? Like 18, basically 10 and 10. He's basically averaging a triple-double. But when you basically. watch the game and you really sit there and struggle through a Wizard game, if you can, um, he's awful. Like, he's, he's just bad. He has some of the worst turnovers you'll see in the league, like Bradley Beal be coming off a pin down and he looks him off and tries to slip a pass over to Rui Hachimura, who's not looking for it because the plays for Beal. And like the defense, like we haven't even gotten to the defense. Like he doesn't try on that end anymore. Um, I don't know if it's a thing where he feels like, like the wizards are beneath him. So he's just going to go for his numbers and not care. I don't know if it's, He's just physically diminished to the point where he can't get to the line um, in the same manner. Like, you know, prime Westbrook was like, so, oh, he was a force that you were like, yeah. he was kind of one of those first guys that the whole build the wall thing was for. You had to build a wall and transition for Russ, Russell Westbrook um, in the prime of his career. Now you can live with Russell Westbrook in transition one-on-one -on -one because he's probably going to lose the ball or he's probably going to take a terrible shot. Yeah, um, if you back off him far enough, he will pull up and shoot the jumper. He'll shoot he the ranger. Yeah, and it, it's so sad to see that uh, a fall from a guy like this who who was a league MVP, who has averaged a triple-double three different times, but the efficiencies are awful. And it's almost like he thinks he's still that 2016, 2017 version and his body is trying to tell him you have to change your game. And I think that that clash between his brain and his body um, have ultimately been the detriment of his career, um, at least with Washington. The unfortunate thing is I don't know how he can change his game mm. because he cannot shoot. He yeah. just can't. At this point, he needs to just stop and just be Ben Simmons and just get to the rim or don't and that's it mm -hmm. um i like that you said that it's kind of sad the way he's diminished from the level he was not just because he played so well but prime russell westbrook was one of the most entertaining players to Absolutely. watch Absolutely. that dude was electric and it's it's just not there anymore yeah it kind of reminds me of last year in houston he a lot of people, you know, remember the 27 points and the, the crazy numbers. That was after they traded Capella. When they had Capella on that team, they struggled because, as you've mentioned, he cannot shoot the ball. And he was kind of playing the de facto center for them, which I kind of thought he could do in Washington. Um, I thought he would have been able to be the guy who kind of plays in the paint. They have Bertans, Hachimura, Beal and like one of the wings. And I thought they would just run a small lineup to start to try and maximize Russell. But it doesn't matter what lineup he's in right now. He's he's just, when he's in a lineup with Beal, it seems like his defender is always in Bradley Beal's way and he's having to shoot over two guys. When Beal's off the floor and he's running with Bertans and like a Robin Lopez, they just go under every screen and they get bad shots. And like when they have the most spacing available is when he seems to not want to pass the ball. So it, it's, it's just been really bad to watch. It's, it's been really hard to watch. Those times uh, last year when Houston did have him basically playing the five were the best flashes of Russell Westbrook last year. And it kind of coincided with the time when he took the least jumpers. Yeah. He had four shooters around him spaced out and he just went to the rim. And if anybody tried to come in and help, kick it to a shooter. That's not happening in Washington. And uh, that will transition me right into most disappointing team. We're going to stay right in the nation's capital. Um, they are good for a league worst record of 3-11. and 11. I know we've mentioned Russell Westbrook. We would be remiss to not mention free Bradley Beal. Yeah, get that man out of there. Um, <laughs> 
I don't care where he goes. Just get him out of there. Like, I honestly think, like, he would love it if the Pistons traded for him. And the Pistons stink. But I think, like, he – like, that team is just – it shouldn't be terrible is, is why I'm disappointed in them. You know, if I expected them to be bad and they were bad, they wouldn't be on this segment right now. But he's averaging 35 points, five rebounds, five assists a game. He's played in 13 of their 14 games because they've had a few postponed. His lowest point total this year, 27 points. He's had five games this season of 40 points or more, 0-5. I'd like to say probably all losses. All losses. And the thing that frustrates me so much with this team, and it's disappointing because you hear the names Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal. You think in the Eastern Conference, that's good enough to get you into the play-in game. At the very minimum, it should be good enough. Well, they are running up and down the floor as you – would suspect, suspect they would with Russell and all those young guys. But what that's doing is um, letting them give up the most amount of points per game in the league. So if you're running up and down, you know, obviously there's more possessions for you, but in turn, that means there's more possessions for your opponent. And when, if your offense is not just super efficient, um, if you're a Wizards uh, guy, you're going to lose that game because you can't get a stop. Um, this team has been poorly coached by Scott Brooks. I've never thought he was a good coach, even in OKC. I constantly felt they underachieved despite making a finals that one time. They never went back. They never threatened besides um, 2016, and I don't think he was the coach that year. I think it was Billy Donovan. You're right. So... After that one finals run, I think the highest they ever got back was the second round. They never made it out the second round after that finals appearance. Um, so they were up 3-1 on the Warriors was the furthest they ever made it. Yeah. So um, I don't think he's a good coach there. He's damn sure not a good coach now. He's Their rookie, Denny Abdia, he was drafted number nine. I thought that was a steal at the time because I was like, okay, there's this versatile guy. He can play a two. He can play three. He can handle. The shot was a question mark, but he was a basketball player, and he could do a lot of things well. Um, shooting wasn't his forte. So you know what Scott Brooks says? He says, hey, how would you like to be a spot-up shooter next to Russell Westbrook in these secondary lineups to close the first and close the third quarters? Um, he's been sitting in the corner a lot. Bertans has been reduced to just this pick and popper where Davis Bertans last year, the guy that got paid the bag that he's getting paid was coming off of pin downs. He was running in transition, um, spotting up, flaring out. Now he's just setting a screen, slipping out and shooting a, a deep contested three because, you know, most of the time, the ball handler's not really drawing any attention if it's Ish Smith or Raul Neto or some something like that. Um, Rui Hachimura is a bright spot. I like him, but Bradley Beal and Rui can't do it by themselves. And this team, to me, Adam, I think is maybe I was too high on them to say they should. I thought they were going to comfortably be top eight and only have to win maybe one game to get into the playoffs, but for them to be the worst team in the league with some of the talent they have is just, it, it's, it's disappointing. <laughs> it's disappointing. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I thought, like you said, Westbrook, Brad Beal, throw in Hachimura, who I also really like in the Eastern conference, that should be a team that's hovering around that play in spot, mm -hmm. just based off of those guys alone. And they're not. They're the worst team in basketball. Um, your points were all great. I love the one about Bertans because you're right. He is not moving around like he used to be. And I don't think that's a Bertans thing. I think that's a Scott Brooks thing. Absolutely. I've never liked Scott Brooks either. He's not maximizing these guys' skill sets at the moment. And it shows. Um, I don't really know where they go from here. I think trading Bradley Beal has to be the starter and getting, I guess, draft picks is what you're looking for. Got to. Um, I don't know. It's it's dark for Washington. 
Uh, I do really like Hachimura, but I'm not sure he's a guy who makes a bad team better. Mm. I think Hachimura is a very good basketball player who does a lot of things well and can be an asset to a good team. I like that. Um, but I don't think he's going to go out there and, and do anything individually great to drag a worse team or a bad team forward. I just yeah. don't see that. I agree with that. Um, I watched them play last night, no Westbrook. They played against the Pelicans, mm-hmm. and it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Unless Bradley Beal creates something, they can't do anything. Have nothing. Like, like Robin Lopez driving towards the middle of the floor to a turnaround jump hook is not winning basketball <laughs> in the NBA. It's just not. Yeah. Um Quick, quick trade proposal, and then we'll move on. Who says no? The Nuggets offered Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Bull Bull, couple firsts. Um, I don't know if that makes the money work. At th- I think throwing in Will Barton makes the money work. But let's say those three assets, couple first-round picks for Bradley Beal. And then you run out a big three of Beal, Porter Jr., Jokic, who can, in principle and in theory, all really play well together. Who says no to that trade? I think the Nuggets are no. Okay. I think the Nuggets are really, really high on Jamal Murray. I don't think the Nuggets are going to see Brad Beal as that big of an upgrade over what they think they have in Jamal Murray. Certainly not a big enough upgrade to warrant uh, Bull Bull, who they also really like. Will Barton, who's played well so far this year. Um, and what else did you say? Did you say a pick? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't see. I don't see Denver going for it. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I don't think they would. Okay. Okay. Yeah, just a little, little thought there. But that's my piece on the Wizards. Free Bradley Beal. He can come to New Orleans. Yeah. Honestly, man, get just get him out of. <laughs> Of Washington, please. <laughs> I'll take him in New Orleans. All right, so to close this out, I guess, for my disappointing team, I took the Toronto Raptors, um, who I think are a huge disappointment. Last year, they went 53-9. and nine. They were the two seed in the Eastern Conference. As we stand right now, uh, the Toronto Raptors are 7-11, and 11, which puts them firmly in 11th place in the Eastern Conference. Wow. Um, As a team, they are uh, in the top 10 ninth in points allowed. Um, They were first last year in not allowing points. They're down to ninth, which is still top 10. That's still really good. They're eighth in opponent's field goal percentage, and they're about middle of the pack and rebounding. So I don't think any of those are the problem. They're still playing good defense. Nick Nurse is still missing it, mixing in zones at weird times and stuff and, and doing all of that, and it's still working. Um, they don't score the ball well enough. Yeah. They're in the bottom half of the league in scoring. They take the most threes in the league. They're second in threes made and eighth in three-point percentage, so that actually works out pretty well. But they are dead last in two-pointers made. They are 27th in percentage on two-point shots, and they are 25th in free-throw attempts. Wow. Which all points to they are not generating shots at the rim. Shots at the rim are the easiest points in basketball, and it is not points Toronto is finding. Um, As far as their roster goes, they lost Ibaka and Gasol from last year, which – it's kind of a lot to lose. Those guys were integral pieces to that team. But in their absence, we've seen the rise of Chris Boucher, Boucher. who is balling. Um, he's scoring 14 points a game. He's blocking 2.2 shots in only 23 minutes. 23 minutes a game, 2.2 shots. Taking uh, 3.8 uh, three-pointers a game at 44.9%. Excellent numbers for a big guy on a decent sample size. Um, 53.6% from the field overall. So that is a huge bright spot on an otherwise disappointing team. Siakam has regressed. Yes. um, Which is a big thing here. He's dropped from 22.9 points a game to 18.1. 
His field goal percentage is down. His three-point percentage is way, way, way down to 25.4%. Wow. Not, not good numbers on four and a half attempts a game. Down from 35.9% last year on 6.1 attempts a game. Um, Van Vliet is their leading scorer right now with 18.9 a game, which is about what he did last year. He's shooting it well from deep, but as a whole is at 39.8% from the floor on 16.9 shots. Mm. So that's not really an efficient 19 points a game. Um, outside of Siakam, Van Vliet, Lowry, they don't really have a lot of options of guys who can create much. And Siakam hasn't been creating much, so there goes that one. Um, yeah, it's it's rough. They need to find a way to score some more points. You're absolutely right about Pascal Siakam. Um, I was never particularly high on him because I thought a lot of his uh, I thought a lot of his game was, and this is not to knock him, but I thought a lot of his scoring and his game came from just simply being the hardest worker on the floor. And that in itself is a skill set. So I'm not trying to knock that or anything. But I think when everyone is trying as hard as he is, I think he can be very marginal. Um, and you couple that with the fact that now he is, at least in theory, the number one option. He might not be on you know points average, but I feel like they look to him as, can you be our franchise player? And his skill set isn't developed enough yet to where the Raptors need it to be um, for them to be a, a good team. I look at Kyle Lowry and I think he's one of those players that when when um, he ages, like he's already 34 years old and I think it's going to be a rough, a rough year for him going forward. I don't, I don't see much of this like turning around because a part of Kyle Lowry's game that was very underrated last year and then the year they won the finals, he got to the line a lot. And he is down to four attempts a game now, which is the lowest it's been since he's joined Toronto. And I think that was a huge part of them generating points was we ain't scored in two minutes and 30 seconds. We ain't scored in seven possessions. What are we going to do? And Kyle Lowry would just find a way to get to that free throw line. Um, he's not doing it as much this year. I don't know if he's not going to the hole as aggressively, if the refs aren't giving him the same benefit of the whistle anymore. I haven't watched enough to tell you, but one thing I can say is the the losses of Gasol and Ibaka, like you mentioned, that, that really staggered them, at least coming out of the gate. Boucher is a guy who is a great defender but in a different way that you would think from your center from your center you would think he's the fortress of our defense he's the back line Chris Boucher is actually at his best when he's on the perimeter flying around he's blocked nine three-pointers this year which is double the amount of the next highest guy in the league um and he is a frail guy you know he so I think Joel Embiid matchups would give him trouble some of the bigger guys, and then even some of the wing scorers who like to get downhill, like a Giannis, or or even if they played the Nets and they had to run into Harden getting downhill, I don't think a guy like Chris Boucher would deter them from going into the paint the way Mark Gasol or Serge Ibaka would. Um, right. So I think as good as he's been, I think there isn't that fear factor anymore of Toronto's defense like there was maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just look at Chris Boucher, like physically compared to Mark Gasol or Serge Ibaka, he's skinny. Yeah. Chris Boucher is a skinny, skinny dude. Whereas both of those other guys, those were some big, nasty enforcer type centers Mm -hmm. or had the potential to be at least. Um, I like what you said about we haven't gotten the bucket in two and a half minutes. Things are starting to get out of hand. We're about to lose any last chance of momentum we need to go get a bucket we need a guy who can just go out and get us a bucket and like you said last year it was Kyle Lowry Mm -hmm. that has kind of fallen off a little bit more he is getting older 
and Siakam has not risen up into that role. So as of right now, Toronto doesn't have that guy. Mm-hmm. And I think any good team has to have the guy. Yep. The guy is a big part of winning basketball. Absolutely. And as high as I am on guys like Fred Van Vliet, I, I really love OGN and Obi. Um, it's hard for the guy to be 5'10", you know, um, yeah. in Fred's case. It's hard for the guy to be OG Ananobi, who doesn't really create his own shots, but kind of has to have the offense created for him. Um, so, yeah, I think that's right. To, that plays along to your point of as hard as this team plays and as well as they defend on any given night, it's just every possession on offense is a grind. And if the play isn't exactly run to perfection, it, it's going to be tough, you know, and um so yeah, I can I can definitely see your point. Right now, if the season ended, they wouldn't be in the playoffs, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, it it is. It's a struggle. Everything on offense is a struggle for them right now. I do think they'll end up placing higher in the East than they are now. Yeah, I think eleven is a little too low for them. They do play good defense. They do have some talented players. Nick Nurse is a phenomenal coach. I do think they're going to turn it around and probably even make the play in but I don't see them going far at all. I think this is a first round exit team. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I could see them losing in the playing tourney, actually. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, but that's all we have for today. Um, we've mentioned Jalen Brown, Colin Sexton is our individual surprises slash standouts uh, for the teams. We had the Pacers and the Spurs for surprises disappointments we went josh richardson and russell westbrook and then disappointing teams went wizards and raptors so if you made it to this point in the episode thank you so much um feel free to comment on twitter or instagram or anything like that and and, and let us know what you think but adam i appreciate you as always my brother and we'll, we'll of see course. We'll, we'll do this again soon yeah for sure man always love talking hoops <laughs>